Yeah, the storm around me was was really about fear and and not fulfilling my call, and it was easy to get lost in the money and the position and the power. He's always done this with me when I am so mad at him and I'm praying to him and just not understanding and even saying you have forsaken me. I don't understand. You know, I've been loyal to you. Um, For me and my experience. I can look back at some of the worst times in my life and when I look at it now I can see that God was the closest to me then and there's a scripture that says that God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those he saves those that are crushed in spirit and I have I have felt him like that cancer was my red sea and storm and God was my dry land God provided that uh, platform for me to exit into my dry land I was standing on the banks of the Red Sea and God was my dry land. How are we doing, church? Doing all right? Don't have to get better than that. Hey, uh, you look good. Grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Um, if, you, if you don't have your very own Bible, then the one in the, in the seat back in front of you is our gift to you. Um, if you'd like a leather-bound one, just go to the Lost and Found if you don't mind somebody else's names. Uh, on it, but you can have theirs because they haven't come back to pick it up. Hey, we got a lot to do. We're in week four of this series. We've been walking through the book of Moses, or the, the person of Moses, the book of, of Exodus, and today we are going to cross the Red Sea. So here we go. Uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of... I have no idea how to say that. Okay, let's just be honest. And, and if you think, well, my pastor better be, better be able to pronounce this. Eh, tough, Okay. Nobody knows how to pronounce these words, let me just tell you that. So if somebody asks you to read in Disciple Group, and, and you're like, I don't know how to say it, just go with it, just say it boldly and make it up, and if somebody tries to correct you, they're self-righteous and they're probably not a Christian, all right? So, so turn back and encamp in front of Palatka, or however you say that, between Migdal and the sea, and in front of Baal Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall, shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Hey, as, as God calls the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he's going to send them to the promised land, they do not take a direct route. He sends them to these little random places so that Pharaoh looks and is like, man, these people are lost. They're not going in the right direction. They're wandering around. If you, if you do a little historical study on these two places, I mean, it is. It's like Palak and McClenny, you know? They're like, why would anybody go there? And if you're from there, it's why you're from there and you live in Jacksonville now, okay? Amen? So it's a good place to be from. And I can say it. I'm from Dillon, South Carolina, so hush. All right? So, but here's what's true. God rarely sends you on a direct route where he's taking you. Rarely. He most often sends us the long way around, the difficult way around. Rarely does he, do we get the easy pass, right? I don't know about you, but I've been walking through the difficult places of my life. Hold up my hands. Father, here I am. Help me. I'm walking through some tough spots. That's most often when God grabs my hand and says, I have you, my son. And then just drags me right through the most difficult places in my life for his glory. You see, it's in this, and God says, I will get glory. I will get glory. Verse 5. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. And so he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots 
of Egypt with the officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea by P-Town in front of Baal Zephon. Real quick. Let me just blow away this prosperity gospel junk you've been watching on TV. Okay, not that y'all watch Christian TV. But if you do, that's what they're going to tell you. Follow Jesus. Everything gets better. It's not what happened here. It's not what happened to any of the disciples. They followed Jesus and they all got killed. Now, if you ever hear this message, if you just believe in Jesus and follow him and do what God calls you to do, everything gets better. That is true when you die. It's all going to be better. It's going to be perfect. Nobody's crying, plenty of food to eat, nobody's sick, yes and amen. But until that time, guess what? Jesus himself said, in this world you will face troubles of many kinds. But do not fret, for I have overcome the world. Oftentimes, it's in the obedient walk of faith that God calls you in that you will face some of your toughest struggles and toughest trials. That's what happens here. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Of course they feared greatly. Because in obedience, walking with God, they find themselves standing in front of an impossible situation that is the Red Sea. What are we going to do? And then they look over their shoulder, and here comes Pharaoh's army, 600 chariots plus more soldiers bearing down on them, and they fear greatly because they think they're in an impossible situation. And quite honestly, they are. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us, what have you done bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 12. (laughs) Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Time out. That is not what they said. You know what? Fear can make you do some dumb stuff. Fear can make you forget what you were praying. Because I look, that's not what they prayed. You remember Exodus 1? Here's what they prayed. Dear God, remember us. Remember your children. For we are oppressed under Pharaoh. Send us a deliverer. And now, now God goes, okay. He answers their prayer, but he doesn't answer it the way they want him to answer it. And so now they're blaming God. God, you messed up my prayer card. That is not what I wrote on my prayer card. You have messed this whole thing up, okay? And they're afraid and it jacks up even with their theology. And then they say, for it would have been better for us to serve Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so here's the response. And Moses said to the people, fear not, for you are awesome. And you can do mighty things. And God will never give you anything that you can't have handle, thus saith the Lord. That is not what the Bible says. That's what you believe. In your fear, you can believe that kind of stuff. You've heard well-meaning Christians tell you that kind of stuff. Here's the problem. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? Here's what God is going to say to them. He's not going to say, fear not, because you are strong and mighty and fearless, warrior people. No, because he knows that we're wicked and we're weak and we're afraid. And they have a lot to be afraid of. And so he says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Is that not good news? I don't know what kind of situation you're in, but I read the prayer cards, and I know there are some of you, and you feel like you've got the Red Sea in front of you, and you've got Pharaoh's army bearing down on you, and you are afraid. And that's probably why 365 times in the Scriptures, the Bible tells us, do not be afraid. Why? Because we're afraid. 
And I think the core problem of most of our problems has to do with fear. It just does. And that's why God steps in and says, I will fight for you. Listen to me. Some of you are in the fight of your life. You're in the fight for your marriage or fight financially or fight at work or fighting to reconcile with that person you used to be close with or fighting to figure out what God wants to do with you in this world. And know this, that fight is not up to you. It's not up to you. But for those of us that surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ, then God fights for us. And some of you, that's all you need to hear. God fights for us. And so God, he doesn't tell you don't be afraid because you can handle this because you can't handle this. And a lot of you act that way. Man, I got this. Well, good luck. Let me just warn you, go ahead and cast a prophecy. It ain't gonna go well. It's just not. When you handle it on your own, it's, you know what you get? You get as much as you get. But when God fights for you, there's nothing that's impossible. And so God is fighting for his people here. And you know how I know this? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. You know, what's, you know what's impossible? You know what is a Red Sea in front of you and Pharaoh's army bearing down on you? Your salvation, your eternity. And you think, man, this is an impossible situation. And then Jesus comes along and says, nothing is impossible for those who believe. And he dies on the cross for us. You see, it's why the Bible says over, you know, one time for every day of the year, fear not. I believe the reason is because The Bible also says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that we're saved by faith, okay? And the opposite of faith is not doubt. If you've got doubt and questions, you'll make a great disciple. The opposite of faith is fear. Faith produces action. Faith causes us to walk with God and what he's called us to do. Fear paralyzes. Fear causes us to just shrink up. Fear makes our enemies and our problems get bigger and bigger and bigger. And our God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But faith in God, when you put your faith in God, it it, it helps you realize that God is big and sovereign. And that's when the Red Sea, you can find a path through it. And the army behind you can't do anything to hurt you. That's why he says, fear not, because I'm going to fight for you. Verse 15, and the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. This might be my new favorite verse. You know why? Here's what he says. Okay, okay, prayer time's over. Say amen, now go. Because you've got a lot of Christians, and, and we're going to talk about how important prayer is. Prayer is so important. But at the end of the prayer, you say amen, and then you do what God has told you to do. And so he says, I've heard you cry. Okay, quit whining, quit crying, quit lying, and then go. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Then he says, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And this is cool. We've talked about this a few times already. That God calls Moses to hold up his staff, which is the symbol of his sin and his shame. It was his primary excuse of why he could not be used by God. And then God says, that very thing that you're most ashamed of, I want you to hold it up. And now it is going to be, it is going to be a symbol of my power in your life. You see, why did he have a, why did he have a shepherd's staff? Because he was a shepherd. And why was he a shepherd? Because he was a fugitive because he murdered a guy in Egypt and went on the run. And he was so ashamed of that that when God called him to be the deliverer, he said, I can't because I'm just a shepherd and I can't talk good. And, you know, God, you've got the wrong guy because I'm ashamed. Listen, that's why at the church of 1122, it's okay to not be okay. Because you know what else was the, sin, the, the symbol of suffering and shame? It was the cross It was the cross. It was the symbol of suffering of shame. And God used that very symbol to be the symbol of hope and love and grace in this world. 
And the same thing is true for you. That God could use the thing that you're most embarrassed about, the mo- that you're most ashamed of, and when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ and understand that He paid the full price on the cross and there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that He can take the very thing that you were most embarrassed about and most ashamed of, and that could be the display of His power and His glory. It's why at the Church of 1122, it's okay to not be okay. It's why we're a movement for all people, all kind of people, regardless of what you look like, what color you are, how much money you make, what your background is, what you used to do. We're a movement for all people. Whether you're addicted to meth or you're addicted to Bethmore Bible studies, all of you are welcome to be here at the Church of 1122. And it's okay to not be okay because the cross outs us all. And honestly, I've been in ministry for 22 years, and when we started 1122, I just decided, look, the fake, the fake you's doing just fine, I'm not faking it. I'm just not going to fake it. That's why every single week I hear people say, I can't believe you said that. I'm going to say more stuff, it's going to be worse. You understand? Because, because, again, if you're not ready to be real, just take up somebody else's seat. But if you're ready for the real you to meet the real God and deal with real life stuff, then welcome, you're in the right place, okay? It's okay to not be okay. Amen? But... <laughs> it ain't okay to stay there. We ain't all just gathering up and talking about how crappy we are and sing just as I am, come just as we are, and leave just as we were. Uh-uh. God loves you too much, and so do I, to leave us there. He calls us out and to begin to walk with Him. And so that's what they do here. And so He holds up the, he holds up the staff, and it parts the Red Sea. Verse 17 And he says, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Listen, just know this. God has your back. Like he moves and he gets the back of his children. Verse 21, and then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and he made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now listen, and this is when the faith really kicks in. Faith is not a one-step journey. Faith is a continuous walk with God who gives you the faith by which you can walk. I mean, think about this. Like, you've seen the movie, right? The book's better, but still, there's like this huge wall of water, 40, 50 feet high. Can you imagine? Moses parts the Red Sea, and you're like, that is awesome. And then he's like, all right, we're going in. And you think, what are you thinking? You know what I'm thinking? I don't think I'm going to go first. Hey, I think y'all go first, and I definitely ain't going last. I know that, okay? Because aren't you thinking, how long is this staying up? Like, I know God did it, but is he going to also sustain it? And then, I can tell you, I'd also be nervous, because my kid would be the kid that would walk over to the wall of water and, like, break the seal, and it all lands on him, you know? (laughs) You understand? Because some of you have taken the initial step of faith to step out and not be afraid, or maybe you're afraid, but by the power of God, you're fearing not. And you're doing whatever it is God's called you to do. And you thought, I thought that was it. No, it's a continuous walk with him. And so they walk on dry ground. So yeah, the dry ground's dry, and that's awesome. But these walls of water are on their left and on their right, and by faith, they're walking through. You see, when God fights for you, nothing is impossible. Nothing. 
Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud. He looked down on the Egyptian forces, and he threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Listen, when we fight, we can get as far as we can get. But when God joins the fight, nothing is impossible. For those of you that are, even if you believe in Jesus and you say he's your savior, but you're still running your own life, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get whatever you can get. In your business, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your finances, whatever it is, you are the end all. Good luck. I can promise you, it's not going to end well. It's just not. It's just not. But when God gets involved, I mean, when God gets involved, anything's possible. And in all areas of your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your finances, in, in every area of your life, don't, I mean, don't you want to see what God can do in that area and not just what you can do? See, because when, when we fight, we get as far as we can get. When God fights, I'm telling you, it's also evident to the entire world. Verse 26, and then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over to the sea, <clears throat> that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen, horsemen. and so... Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. And not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw that the Egyptians were dead on the seashore. And you see, God was glorified in the saving of his children and the thwarting of his enemies. And then verse 31, you've got to check this out. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So here's what happened. You see the children of Israel, they're in an impossible situation. But they trust God, they believe God, God joins the fight. He says, all you've got to do is be silent, be still, know that I'm God. And know this, that I will fight for you. And then the Israelites, who used to be afraid, they saw the mighty work of God, and then they went from fear to faith in the Lord, and then they trusted in Him. Do you realize that sometimes God puts you before the Red Sea, puts you in some really, really tough circumstances to be a display for God's glory of how He'll work in your life and so that your friends and your family members and your neighbors will see, they'll see God's work in your life. They might not even see you win, but the way you faithfully walk with Jesus through it, they'll see it, they'll begin to turn. Their fear begins to turn into this thing we call faith, and they trust, and they trust in Jesus. So here's the point, that if God's fighting for us, what can stand in our way? Again, I don't know what you're fighting. I know a lot of it because I read your prayer cards. But just know this, that God will fight for you, that God will fight for you. And if you don't believe me, just look around a little bit and all the fights he's been winning lately in this thing, this movement we call the Church of 1122. What I want to spend the next half hour on is I want to talk about what God has been doing and what God is going to do here in this church, our church, the Church of 1122. So if you would, grab this. This is our 2015 vision piece. Because what is undeniable, I mean, I, I know it's unexplainable, but it's also undeniable, is that God has been fighting for and for the church of 1122, for his own glory. 
And what God's been doing here is absolutely amazing. And most of the time, the way people judge, like, you know, church success, one of the things is attendance and numbers. And I just need you to know this, okay? There's a bunch of numbers in here. But, but you need to know that every one of those numbers represent a person. You see, crowds are great. I like crowds. Every preacher likes crowds. Jesus liked crowds. He, big crowds would show up and listen to his preach. I want to be like Jesus, okay? So we have a lot of crowds here. In fact, crowds are good. Or they're great. Groups are better. That's why you should be in one. And Jesus died for you. It's just true. Crowds are great. Last week, we had almost 6,100 people here at the Church of 1122 in attendance. Isn't that great? Amen. Amen. Okay? Nothing like spattering applause for 6,000 people. That's fine. Uh, that's bigger than the town of Dillon that I grew up in. That's just bigger. That's crazy. The church, you know, I'm the pastor of is bigger than the town I grew up in. Okay, that's fine. But each one of those people is a, an individual person with a story, and they matter to God. And that's why on this, on this 2015 Mission and Vision, we wanted you to see faces of the people. Like this big thick neck guy down here at the bottom that looks like he's got my shirt on. His name's Jeff. And I know Jeff because Jeff lives on my street. Last year we moved into a new neighborhood. And whenever the preacher moves into a new neighborhood, everybody gets nervous, right? They just do. And the primary question is not about heaven and hell. It's about beer. Can we drink beer? <laughs> to which I say, never alone. That's the answer, okay? <laughs> so Jeff and I start hanging out and just start talking about Jesus and invite he and his wife, Alicia, to begin to attend church here. And the way, the, the way Jeff ended up in Jacksonville, he grew up in California, so he already had that against him, so he had a lot to overcome. But nothing is impossible in God. And so Jeff got to Jacksonville via the Jaguars. He played linebacker for the Jags and uh, did about six or seven years in the NFL and bounced around and accomplished everything that every man wants to accomplish in their life. I mean, he's a professional athlete, actually, in three different sports, but he's a pro football player. He had it all, right? Money, beautiful family. Things were going well for him, and yet, even in his success, there was an itch that he just couldn't scratch. And so he started attending 1122. And even while he was in the NFL, he was surrounded by some godly men that were planting seeds of the gospel in his life. But he started coming here, fully surrendered his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and then in 2014, walked into the Atlantic Ocean with hundreds of you and in front of thousands of us and proclaimed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. See, that number matters, right? That number matters. In fact, if you open it up, you'll see that this last year we baptized 465 people. And I've had some people, you know, they're like, why has it got to be about the numbers? Here's why. Because Jeff was one of those. Also, there was a little eight-year-old uh, boy named J.P., that was one of those. J.P. Martin, my son. Then in 2014 in January, I got to walk into the baptism waters that were right here with my son, J.P., and say, J.P., who is Jesus? And he said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I got to say, I baptize you, my son, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And that number matters. And in fact, right before we walked in, he said, don't cry, Daddy. And I said, well, good news, son. I work out. I have hobbies. I don't cry. So, but... But why would you say that? And he said, well, me and Pastor Ben have a bet going on, and if you don't cry, he owes me 10 bucks. So, <laughs> Also, you'll see on this page, see this big, bald-headed, good-looking guy right here? All right? I don't know if you know this. We're into bald around here at 1122. So this is, his name's Cookie, and somebody that Cookie worked with uh, invited him to church, and and so, for whatever reason, he started coming, and then we were talking about serving, that you should join a serve staff here. And so, he goes to a serve staff onboarding, and he shows up to serve staff onboarding single, and at the serve staff onboarding, he meets a girl. 
Uh-huh. And then pretty quickly, they get married. And then they go to the, and then during the Song of Solomon series, you know, that happened. And then now she is, she is due to have a baby today. Like right now. She's due any time. All right? See? Be ye not merely, merely hearers of the word, and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. That's what the Bible says. And so some of you are single because you're, you're, wife is in serve staff, but you haven't been obedient to join our serve staff yet, okay? That's why God's holding out on you. See, that story matters. And then one of my favorite ones, if you'll flip it over, another bald-headed guy, because we like bald heads. Okay, this guy right here, his name's Washington. And I wish you knew Washington. Um, We had this, we do our staff meetings on Tuesday morning, and I was asking our staff, who in your world is the most impossible person to be saved? And then our staff started throwing out names. And so we had a long list of mother-in-laws. And then after we got through that, we started talking about our friend, other friends, okay? And so, and everybody kind of made their pitch. And then this girl named Caitlin on our staff comes forward and begins to tell us the story of Washington. And we agreed, yep, yep, he's probably not going to make it to heaven, all right? That's kind of what we did. Because, you know, you've got people in your life and you're like, I think if I just invited them to church, they would probably come. And, you know, they're like, they're kind of on their road to discovering God or whatever. And then we heard Washington, we were like, yeah, no, he, that's going to be rough. And so, because he was like anti-Christ, not the anti-Christ, but, but kind of worked for him. Like he was just, he was super successful, kind of had it together and really smart and thought we were just all dumb sheep, which we are. And, and he was sort of agnostic, you know, that kind of thing and had reasons why what we were all wasting our time. And then, so we as a staff started praying for Washington. We started praying for him and praying for him and praying for him that God would do the impossible among us and save Washington. Then about two weeks later, Caitlin comes into staff meeting and says, Washington came to church. He came like, came to the sermon and left during the last song. And then we, he didn't know this until Thursday night, we, um, <clears throat> we started having Washington updates in our staff meeting. And Caitlin would update us every single week. And we would gather together and pray for Washington. And she would say, hey, he came during the third song. And he came during the third song and left. And he stayed through the last song. And then he made it to the announcements. And then I remember it was a big, big day when Washington moved from the very last row to the next to the last row. <laughs> All you back row people, you watch out. It's a slippery slope you're down here to the Holy of Holies, okay? I'm telling you, before you know it, you'll be down here crying with your hands up. All right, so... And we cheered, and we watched this as Washington kind of just was making his way more and more and more and more forward. And then at the end of sermons, you know, when I give a salvation invitation and say, hey, close your eyes, I don't, I peek, especially at Washington. And, and I would preach whole sermons just at him and hoping that God would save him. And I remember the day that he raised his hand and surrendered to Jesus. And after that service, he walked down to the end. And, you know, I stand down here and talk to people, pray with people. And he walked down and he looked kind of defeated. And I remember thinking, you ought to look happy. You're not going to hell anymore. It's a good day for you, all right? And he walks down and he's like, he got me. He got me, all right? And so Washington matters. Since we've opened the doors of the church, over 2,080 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, and one of those is Washington. Amen? So God has been fighting for us like crazy in 2014. Unbelievable year. I mean, miraculous. Bigger miracle than the Red Sea. The Red Sea just moved water. But what he's been doing here last year is moving eternal trajectories from an eternity separated from him to an eternity with him. That's a bigger miracle. It's just a bigger miracle. And here's what I know. It's just the beginning. We're just getting started. That God is continuing to fight for us here at the church of 1122 and fight for you. You know, see, when, when the nation of Israel walks through the Red Sea, they didn't stop there and be like, well, that was great. Let's make a movie and stop. No, it was just a part of the journey 
to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And so the same thing's true for us. God's been blessing us like crazy. But it's not to stop now. It's to keep going. And so we believe that there's five big things that God has called us to do as a church in 2015. And I just wanted to walk you through them. The first one is this, is that you would get connected. That you would get connected. So again, crowds are great. Groups are better. We want you to move out of rows, move into circles. We want you to get connected with some brothers and sisters that are in Christ. That your church would go from 6,000 to about 12 people in somebody's living room. Now, we make it easy around here. or maybe not easy. We make it simple around here. Walking to the Connect Center today at the end of the service, got an expo out front. All you got to do is walk up and say, hey, I'm interested. And I know some of you have tried groups before. You're like, I tried a group. Uh, I didn't really like it. I'm not going to do it again. Listen, you've had a bad date before, too, but you didn't give up on that entire gender, did you, for one bad date? No. Just kind of keep, keep trucking along, all right? And so there's three primary ways. We've got some other stuff, too, that helps, but there's three primary ways that you get connected here at the Church of 1122. It's join a disciple group, join a serve staff, or go on a short-term mission trip. And if you go on the short-term mission trip, that's just like a half step to try to get you to join a disciple group or join the serve staff. Let me tell you why. Some of you think, well, I don't need that. I come to church, but I'm not really connected to the body of Christ. Let me tell you. The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the body, his church, and we are the members of his body. A disconnected body part is not awesome. If you were walking to your car after the service is over and there was a disconnected foot by your car, you're not thinking, well, look, nobody can tell this foot who it should be connected to. No, you're thinking, something went horribly wrong, (laughs) right? And the future of that foot, the future of that foot is going to shrivel up, stink, and die. That's it. So the disconnected body part, that's your future. That's your future. And some people are like, well, all I need is Jesus. Guess what Jesus told you to do? To get connected in the body. We want 60% of our weekend attenders to be connected, either in disciple group or to get connected on serve staff. We're making it simple. When you walk out of here today, get connected. Number two, second thing, we have some big events that happen here in the life of the Church of 1122 that we want everybody to be ready for and geared up for. One is like the Super Bowl of church, and it is Easter. And the reason that it's the Super Bowl is not about attendance, it's about content. It's the day we all gather to celebrate that the tomb is empty. Because if Jesus is still dead, I'm finding something else to do with my life, okay? It is the reason that we believe He is the Lord and Savior. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, for 40 days before that, we're going to pray and fast and get ready to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We hope you bring a bunch of your friends, and we hope God saves a lot of people on that Easter weekend. That leads us to beach baptism. All the people that say, hey, I'm ready to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ, the next thing you do in obedience, if Jesus is your Lord, is you get dip, dunk, submerged, that's what the word baptism or baptizo means, um, and proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so we go out to the beach on June the 7th, and we're going to baptize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of us. And it's like one big family reunion. That's what it's like. All the services come together, and, and, and you bring fried chicken and tents. And I mean, you want to know how big it is? We have people tailgate for our baptisms, and that's legit. Amen? Amen. So be there for that. And then the other thing is saturated. It's what we do in the fall. We call it a revival, kind of. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to call it a revival because... 
Who am I to tell God when he's going to revive us? But we're praying for it, and we're praying for revival. And we bring different preachers, friends of mine from around the country to come in, and here's why. I'll just tell you why. I did 15 years of student ministry, and one of the most effective things I saw in the lives of high school and middle school students was this. If I could take them to camp and remove them from the distractions of their world and put them eyeball to eyeball with Jesus for five days in a row, then they could make that legitimate um, evaluation of their life. And I saw God save student after student after student. And then when I began to be the lead pastor and work with adults, I remember thinking, the problem with adults, they quit going to camp. You're so busy in your life. I see what happens to a bunch of you in the service, okay? It's like right at the good part, you start kind of leaning in and getting into it, and then you think, oh, wait a minute, wait, it's about to get on me. And if it gets on me, it's going to change me, and i got to do something different. And I see you leave during the last song and kind of brush him off on the way out. Like, oh, he almost got on me. All right, oh, I think I can resist for another six days, and then I'll just kind of dip my toe in again. But I don't want to get like all get saturated in it. But So that's what we try to do at Saturated, to be saturated in the presence of God. And this year, this year's a very special year because our worship team is going to release their third full-length worship album, okay? And this is great because we, we've been blessed so much by God under the leadership of Pastor Ben and all of our worship leaders and worship community that we've developed, and, and we're releasing a full-length album. And here's, this is what's cool. We're going to release it about three weeks before Saturated. And the reason why is so that we can all, like, learn the words, so when Saturated happens and they play that song, you're like, that's my jam. You close your eyes, raise your hand. Isn't it better when you know the words and stuff? You're just like, I am so spiritual right now, God. I know you're impressed, all right? And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to build that deal around that worship album. And we believe as a church that it's not just our job to call you to worship, but to give you tools to help you worship, not just when we get here together in Walmart, but also when you're just on your own, running on the treadmill, driving in the car, that you've got a worship album from us. So be praying for those things. Big things. The third one is this. We're real excited about this. That um, before school opens this year, we're going to open a thrift store. On the other end of this parking lot in the old Winn-Dixie, we're going to open a thrift store. Okay? And here's why. There's a lot of reasons why. There's some like strategic reasons that have to do with parking and making sure that we've got the whole parking lot locked down. That's cool. But <clears throat> even bigger than that is we believe that one day we'll have a fully functioning, full-service community transformation center in what is or what was the Winn-Dixie, okay? And here's why. There are two big reasons Christianity took off in the first century, all right? One is because it, it wasn't built on a belief system. People didn't just get together and talk about what they believed, but it was, it was founded on a historical event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He was alive, claimed to be God. They crucified him, and he came back to a bunch of people, and they saw him. And that's why it began to get traction. And then also, it was the compassion of the early believers. That we, as Christians, our, our heritage is that we don't move into a, a community to extract from it, but to serve it. And so in the first century, when the plague hits Rome and everybody's running away, the Christians are running in to take care of the sick. And then people are like, wow, you care about me. I care about what you believe. Talk to me. Or when, when Romans are discarding babies because of birth defects or it was a girl or they just didn't want them, the Christians were the ones that were coming in and they were taking care of the babies. And that's why people started listening to the message. So a big part of what we want to do is to, be, is to serve this community. And so the very first step of that is putting a thrift store in that place. And one of the biggest reasons is we know this. I mean, we know this. Sociologically, it's just proven to be true is one of the best ways to help people is to provide them with dignity in a way that they can help themselves, right? This isn't welfare. 
It's not cheering a lot. This is with dignity helping people help themselves. And so what's going to begin to happen is men and women are going to come in here and think they're buying some clothes for their kids or buying some clothes for themselves, and, and, and they don't know that they're going to meet Jesus that way. All right? And the other thing is it's going to be a thrift store that honors God, which means it's not going to smell like an armpit, okay? That's a part of it. It's going to be nice and dignified, and that's a part of what we'll do. And we'll be able to employ people and job train people and lots of room for volunteers and all of that kind of thing, and that will open uh, before school starts, hopefully. And this past Monday at about 5.30 in the afternoon, I signed a lease on the Winn-Dixie, so the Winn-Dixie is yours. Amen? Amen. That's big. <clears throat> Number four, the fourth thing we believe God is calling us to do this year <clears throat> is at the end of this year, in January of t- 2016, 1122 is going multi-site, and we're going to launch our second campus. And here's why. We don't want geography to limit who God is drawing unto himself through 1122. And we know there's a bunch of you like varsity level super Christians and you're driving like 20 minutes to get to church. And so what we're going to do is try to take us to you. So we've done some demographic studies and there's two primary locations where thousands of you are driving in from. One is the south side and over on the south side there's over a thousand people every weekend new that are driving that 20 minute drive to come here to beach in san pablo also up in arlington there's over 1800 adults that are driving in about 20 minutes from arlington to here and so we are going to take 1122 to you because again i know you're a super christian you're varsity but your pagan neighbors won't drive all the way with you and so we want to partner with you so that you can invite your friends, neighbors to come to a church that's going to be in your backyard. Now, we need you to pray about this, okay? Honestly, down the road, we hope to have a location in both, but one of those places has to be first. And so we're praying, praying, praying about which direction we should go. Something that's already awesome here at 1122 is this, that on a giving weekend right now, we have about 700 people that are experiencing God through 1122 um, in our video venues already. So right now we have, um, we have those of you that are in the sanctuary, thank you for being there, and 9 o'clock service has people in the sanctuary in a video venue, and 522 service uh, on Sunday evenings is also a video venue. And on any, any given weekend, that's about 700 people that are already a part of our 1122 family with a live band and video message. And so we're going to export that into a couple of locations, and then we'll need a 1,000 of you to attend that location for a year, okay? So pray like crazy for that. Big deal. Now, confession time. <clears throat> I don't know, you don't know me very well, but let me just tell you this about me. I am a very driven, very direct, I love to accomplish a lot, I love to set big goals and then gather everybody, and here we go. And if you can't keep up, fine. Go somewhere else, but I like to get stuff done. That's just how I act. This is how I am. Imagine that, okay? That's all I do. So if you, and I know you memorized the 2014 vision, right? And it's very similar to this because I like to draw a target on the wall and say, look, folks, we're keeping it simple. This is what we're accomplishing. I don't like to get distracted by a bunch of, you know, ancillary projects. This is what we're doing. So when I knew that I had to, to, to talk about the vision of 2015 with our church and elders and everybody else, it took me about... 20 seconds to get this down. That's it. This is what we're doing. We're going to connect people. We've got these big events. We're opening a thrift store, and we're launching a second campus. Here we go. And then I wrote it all down, put it on my desk, and I sat back, and here's what I thought. I should probably pray about this. That's what I thought. 
And I know you're thinking, well, you're not a very good pastor. It's worse than you think, okay? It just is. So, <clears throat> so I sit back, because here's what I never want to do. I never want to do. I never want to come up with these plans and then get some kind of magic, you know, tickle me Jabez prayer for him to come and bless what I'm doing. I want to say, all right, God, you're Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. I work for you. So what is it you are calling us to do? Because I know there's blessing in your calling. I want to get on board with you. I'm not asking you to get on board with us. I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. And the biggest thing that God revealed to me is, listen, I'm fighting for you and I'm blessing you and I'm blessing the church of 1122. And please do not get so enamored with the blessings that you miss the blesser. Don't don't get so, so focused on achieving that you forget to just sit at my feet. And the only way to do that is to posture ourselves in a posture of prayer. And so 2015, Church of 1122, is the year of prayer. That I'm calling our church, the elders are calling our church to a year of prayer. That it's not just about growing and doing and achieving and building. It's about humbling ourselves before the Almighty God and never getting in front of Him. And just acknowledging, once again, you're God, we're not. What would you call us to do? So I'm calling us to a year of prayer. So here's what this means. Some of the things we'll continue to do, like elder-led prayer, beginning the 40 days before Easter to get us ready for Easter. We call that Lent. 21 days before saturated, the elders will call us to to pray and fast. It also means that we're going to help you pray. That on your bulletin each week, they're going to change a little bit. You know how you have a reading plan? We're going to include a prayer plan in that. One thing that I would ask very selfishly is just this. On every Monday morning... I want to invite our entire church to pray for me. Pray for me. Here's why. As I began to um, read biographies of just mighty men of God that God used throughout church history, like Spurgeon and, and Luther and some of those guys, their prayer lives were enormous. And I began to realize that my ministry responsibility seemed to be far exceeding my personal prayer life. And so that's why I've carved out Mondays in my life to go into the woods. I write my sermons there. And the other thing is, so I don't just write a sermon and then get that done and move on to the next thing, that every Monday I can just kind of sit and soak and saturate and meditate and be with God and do more listening than talking. And so every Monday morning starts off this way. I get there a couple hours before dark. And then here's what I, I just say to Jesus. Jesus, you are the chief shepherd of our church, literally the senior pastor, I work for you, I'm an under-shepherd. They're your people, and you're the shepherd. What do you want to say to them through me? I'm listening. That's how Monday starts for me. So I want you to pray for me there. Also, I want you to pray for the elders of this church on Monday mornings, and I want you to pray for the staff of this church on Monday mornings, because it's on Mondays when our staff hit the ground trying to deal with everything that happened over the weekend, right? Like when over 6,000 people show up last week, then there's stuff to do. We start a 1.30 service, over 900 people show up. The first two weeks, there's stuff to do. So I just want you to pray for, our, our, for me and our elders and our staff every Monday, okay? And then we'll help you with the other prayer things. Also, our ministry area leaders are gonna be putting prayer teams together so that everything we do is saturated in prayer. We're gonna have a prayer team for this room. It's gonna pray over every one of these chairs every single week so that whoever sits in that chair that, that God, we will have prayed to God about you. And that God would do in you exactly what he wants to do. And that every trip we have, we're going to have prayer teams for it. So like when the students go to Jamaica, there's a student Jamaica mission team. And then there's a prayer team praying for that team. We're just going to saturate this thing in prayer. And then I also want it to be personal for you. 
And that's why if you turn to the year of prayer, you'll see this 731. Here's what this is. That, I'm calling us seven times a week that you pray. That's one a day. That you would pray every day. And I don't mean just say your prayers, okay? Because I grew up in the say your prayers generation. My mom taught me that before you go to bed, you kneel down and you pray. The most God-awful prayer I've ever prayed in my life, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That was the prayer I learned. And I remember going to my mom. It was so repetitive, I didn't even know what I was praying. And as I got older, I was like, Mom, what's if I should die mean? She's like, no, no, no. It's not if I should die, like a Hebrew word. It's if I should die. So I was like, oh, time out. <laughs> I'm seven years old, Mom. What's happening in our home tonight that I've got to beg to God that I make it through, and if I don't, that I don't burn in hell? That's not a good prayer. Please don't pray that with your kids. So I'm not talking about saying a prayer. I mean a time with God in prayer. Those are different. We're going to help. We're going to help. And I know some of you long-time Christians are like, way to raise the bar, pastor. Pray once a day. Hey, listen, it's a movement for all people. There's a bunch of folks in here, and you haven't prayed every day in a week, and this week will be the very first time that you do. Secondly, three times a week, I want you to pray out loud with a prayer partner. If you're single, pick a prayer partner. Choose wisely. If you're married, it's with your spouse. Got it? And if you're like, well, I've already got a prayer partner. Great, that's extra credit. There's no extra credit in heaven. Whatever. You can do it twice. But I want you three times a week to pray with your spouse. And listen, husbands, you are leading this thing. You are leading this thing. And I don't want to hear, well, I ain't good at praying out loud. You about to be because three times a week for 52 weeks, you're doing this thing. Okay? Now, husbands, I'm going to help you out. Here's how you pray for your wife, especially if you're new at this. Uh, Wives, earmuffs. Don't listen. Okay, now, guys, look, it's just us. Here's what you do. You go to your wife three times a week. You're going to hold her hand, and you're going to ask this question. How can I pray for you? Okay? And she's going to say stuff. Ready? Pay attention. That's where it starts. Pay attention. And then when she gets finished, and it might be a while. I mean, she might, you know, she might have 23 years of this built up. So give her a minute. And then when she gets done, here's what you do. Holding her hand, you bow your head, and you say, dear God. And then you just say what she just said. And then you say, amen. And when you say amen, you're going to look at her, and she's going to be crying. And you're going to be confused. But listen, it's a good one. It's a good cry. I know sometimes you can't tell. You're like, well, is this good? Is this bad? Is this you? Is this me? Is it a coffee commercial? What's happening here? This is a good cry. Got it? And then you just, that's just what you do. How can I pray for you? She's going to say stuff. Dear God, pray for that stuff. Say amen. That's good. Okay. All right. Wives, you're back with us? Okay. Now, husbands, earmuffs, do not listen to this because you're manipulative and you're wicked and you'll use this against them. So don't listen. All right. So listen, wives, just us girls. Listen, listen, listen. Here's how, that's terrible. Here's how. Here's what you do. One, when he starts praying, if he's not really accustomed to it, it's going to be horrible. Or it's going to be horrible. It's not a good prayer. Don't worry about it, okay? So listen, do not correct his, do, don't correct his English or his theology. You understand? And, and I know he's going to misquote verses and be like, well, Galatians 8.28 says God works in all things. Don't be like, no, that's Romans 8.28. No, 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 no. I know you're right, but let's leave this one up to Jesus, okay? We'll let him correct all the, all the bad theology. All right, now. So you just, you just let him get through it, and when he says amen, then you make out with him, okay? That's what you do. Now, look, they're not listening. They're not going to try to manipulate you. Listen, listen. Now, maybe not right there, but it's got to be, here's the thing. Men are like puppies. They repeat what's rewarded. So you reward your puppy close enough to the action that they begin to associate those two, because what's going to happen in about a month is your husband's going to go, I really like prayer, Okay? So three times a week, 
If you're single, find a prayer partner. If you're married, you're praying together. Husband, you're leading. You're leading. Now, on a serious note, listen. You want to change Jacksonville? You can't just sit back and wait for it to change top down. What if every man, every husband that's in 1122, or we've got a bunch of them, what if every husband every week this year, three times a week, took his wife by the hand and led her in prayer? I'm telling you, it is a game changer. It would change our church. It would change our city. It would change everything. Amen? So we're going to get good at it. <clears throat> and then, one time a week, one time a week, if you're single, then you're going to pray with your disciple group, okay, out loud. And again, that doesn't mean like real quick for the foods there. I mean a prayer time, all right? And if you have a family, you're going to get your family together, and husbands, you're leading this one, and you're going to lead your family one time a week in a prayer time. Now, let me help you here. Some of you are like, I've tried that, and it went bad. Yeah, it's going to be awful at first. First of all, you've got to get out of your mind this idealized view that you have. See, some of you think, some of you think in my home, I just walk around with the Greek New Testament and preach while my wife sings worship songs and my kids take notes. Oh, teach us, Father. And don't go like that at all. Our little prayer times are a train wreck every time. I mean, they are. Like, I'm in the prayer trying to correct my... And God, I would just remind JP, he see, you see all things, and that he better stop picking on his sister or you're going to smite him. I mean, that's just a part of it. I mean, I called Gretchen on her phone one time. Woman, what you, okay, she's not in here right now, so I can say that. So listen, just get that out of your mind and just be obedient to gather together as a family and pray and ask your kids, hey, how was your day? How can I pray for you? Do this one time a week. For some of you, you might want to do it right before you leave for church because you hate each other right before you leave because you remember screaming because you're going to be late. And maybe that'd be a good time, or maybe when you get home from church, but just one day a week. We're going to do Sunday nights at my house. We're going to do Sunday nights. We're going to gather together, hold hands, and that's going to be our prayer. And here's, and here's the big deal. Here's why. <clears throat> if, if you think about um, Exodus chapter 14, and God will fight for you, and us as a church being called to a year of prayer, here's why. Because when you pray, when you pray, essentially what you're doing is this, is you're acknowledging and you're inviting God to join the fight. That's what prayer is. It's a big part of what prayer is. So what are you fighting? What's the fight that you're in? What are you afraid of? Is it your marriage? Is it health? Is it finances? Is it your eternity? I mean, what, what is that thing that you're afraid of and that fight that you feel like you're in? Well, prayer, whether it's just you or together with somebody or a group of people, it is an invitation for God to come and join the fight. You see, <clears throat> in the New Testament... The Apostle Paul says it this way. I love this. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, and, and starting in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? And in our context today, we can think about it. What do you say to the Red Sea? And what do you say to the Egyptian army? Or in your context, what do you say to this life that you're trying to live? What do you say to these things? And his response is this. If God is for us, then who could be against us? That's why in your notes for the point, I kind of, if you'll allow me this, I kind of did a little smash up of Exodus 14 and Romans 8. If God is fighting for us, then what could stand in our way? That's what Paul's saying here. If God is for us, then who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That just means he'll answer our prayers. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, 
who is indeed interceding for us. You know what that means? That when we get down on our knees and we pray, dear God, would you please come and fight for me? That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying those prayers for you right now. It matters. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or whatever Red Sea you're facing down right now? And he answers it in 37 and he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you know what that means? That means we pray like it matters because in prayer, God can actually do stuff. That God can come through for you. That God can continue to work and fight for us just the way he sees fit. So you know what I'm praying this year? Man, I'm praying that there would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you that would go from just being attenders of this event for you that is 1122 and you'd become a part of the family by getting connected. Some of you don't even know it. Today, by faith, you're going to step out into the expo and say, okay, I'll give it a try. (laughs) And you're going to build some of the most gospel-centered, like iron sharpens iron, brotherhood, sisterhood kind of friendships that you've ever had in your life. And what you don't know, you don't know that the, that the Egyptian army is bearing down on you. You can't hear them coming yet. In six months, they're going to be here. And you're going to need those friends that you're going to connect with in a group right now. Don't wait till you need them to go looking for them. And then, <clears throat> I believe God's going to move and continue to fight like crazy. At Easter, people are going to get saved. And then, at, when we go do beach baptism, people are going to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we're going to eat fried chicken and cheer them on. And then it's saturated. We're going to experience the presence of God in a fresh and a new way. And then by August, we're going to open this transformation center. We're going to open the thrift store. And there's a mom that thinks, I've got to get school clothes. And she's going to walk in there looking for clothes. And little did she know that the Holy Spirit was looking for her. And she's going to bump into one of you that's working there. And you're going to share an invitation here. Her whole family's eternal trajectory is going to change. And right now this morning either in Arlington or the south side, there's some guy on his couch right now thinking, man, my life is so boring, and he's flipping the channels looking for football, and it's gone, and he feels lost. And little does he know that a gospel-centered church is going to be planted in his backyard, and you're going to commit to attend that one for a year, and you're going to invite him because you work with him. And little does he know his whole world, his eternal trajectory is going to change. And that happens because we are going to gather together We're going to do it individually as families, as groups, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray in the only name that matters when you pray. We're going to pray in Jesus' name. And in the meantime, he's praying for us. And listen, I don't know about you, but I'm telling you what, I'm ready to give my next year to that, and I'm ready to give all the years God gives me to that endeavor because God has been fighting for us. And if God fights for us, nothing can stand in our way. Amen? Amen. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I praise you that when we pray to you, God, you listen, almighty, sovereign king of the universe. And yet you want us to know you as Father. Because of the death and resurrection of your Son, we get invited into the throne room of you. God, I also thank you. God, I thank you for the generosity of this church. God, I thank you that I don't have to, um, we don't have to do like a special giving campaign this year to accomplish what you have called us to accomplish. But because our church has been growing in generosity, we 
just get to keep doing what we've been doing, that we recognize, God, that you are first. And because you are first, you loved us first, and you gave your best in Jesus Christ. And out of a response to that, God, we bring our first and our best to you because you first loved us by giving your best. So, God, I thank you for the generosity that pours out of this place. God, I pray for all of those other ministries today, the the seven church plants that we support and the other ministries around the world that we support, God, and we pray that we, we join with you because you fight for them too. And God, I pray for men and women and students in this place right now, and they are in the fight of their life. Lord, I pray that they would know that the Lord fights for them, that all they are to do is be still and know that you are God. And God, when you say go, they'll step out in faith, knowing that the fight is yours. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you. I praise you for the thousands of salvations, for the hundreds of baptisms, and that every one of those is an individual person that you, that you came and died for. And God, I pray that the church of 1122 is a praying church, God, that this year is a year of prayer because it is not about us, it is all about you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And listen, we're gonna, we respond to the gospel, we're gonna sing. If you are a regular here, we respond by bringing our tithes and offerings. You know how to do that. You can do it electronically, giving boxes, giving kiosks, however you do it. And we're gonna pray. So if you have something you need to pray about, you come, you kneel down and you pray. And as the band leads us, on the screens are gonna be some things where God was fighting for us in 14, some beautiful images of God's work here. So let us respond.